Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to the second episode of Always Andy's Mom. Again, I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. In today's episode, I begin my first of several conversations with the delightful Gwen Capsha. Gwen is a trained social worker and has been working with grieving families for over 30 years. She is currently program director for Starlight Ministries, which offers support groups and various additional events throughout the year for grieving families. Today, we discuss what makes child loss unique from other types of grief and what the process of healing can look like. For more information about Gwen and Starlight Ministries, please visit my website, andysmom.com. Be sure to sign up for my email list to stay up to date on podcast releases and blog posts. You can also stay connected by following Always Andy's Mom on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Welcome to the show today, Gwen. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Why don't you start out by telling our uh, listening audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I was divinely led to grief work. It was not something that I had picked. I just um, got a map and a big gulp and said, okay, where am I supposed to work? And um, God brought me to a hospice and the little house had a little heart on it. And I thought, well, they are really nice people. (laughs) So I went in to talk to them and I spent 12 years doing hospice care as a social worker. And so working with the families prior to the death and then after, and it was really bizarre how grief work really became my passion. I didn't know that. I didn't go into that job that day thinking this was going to be my passion. So um, what where I was led to after that was I worked 20 years at a funeral home doing aftercare. So all sorts of um, people, everybody dies, as we know, and every family comes in um, to grief at different times and phases. And so I got to see a variety, I mean, just a vast amount of people to serve in those 20 years. Um, And then for the last five and a half years, I've been at Starlight. So I'm a social worker. I'm also certified in thanatology. (laughs) Which means nothing to anyone. <laughs> no, I have no idea what that means. You do not? No. Thanatology is the study of death, dying, and bereavement. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And now you can get a master's in it. It's an up and coming field. So someone should look that up if they're interested. You but, sh- you know, yeah. you'd think that a physician might know that, but mm-hmm. we're really not taught a lot yeah. about death or um, how to deal with um, families after death. None of that right. is taught and, in medical and school. And talking to people about even the, the body language or the way you communicate that they are going to die or someone has died. I've noticed that doctors don't always get that right. No, not at all. I can think back to when my mother died, and I'm not sure I've told you this or not, but um, my mother had cancer, and she was undergoing extensive chemotherapy, and the only chemotherapy that would ever help her um, 
and affected her heart. And uh, she actually died of heart failure. So her oncologist, her cancer doctor, was on vacation. It was Christmas time. Um, so she was on the cardiology service. And I was home from college, sitting in her hospital room. And um, one of the nurses came in and said, we need to talk to you outside. And, you know, I'm 21 years old, junior mm-hmm. in college. And she said, you shouldn't be here by yourself because your mother is could die at any time. And my dad and my brother were actually moving because they were moving um, from our big house into an apartment so she wouldn't have to take the stairs anymore. I had, I did not know that things were quite that bad. Right. And um, I walked in and I was crying and my mom turned to me and said, I'm dying, aren't I? And I had to say yes. So as a 21-year-old girl, I had to be the one to tell her she was dying because, you know, nobody else did. And mm. they were uncomfortable doing it. And the nurses clearly knew, but the nurses probably thought it was the doctor's job. And the cardiologist certainly knew that she was dying of heart failure. I do remember them coming in and saying, if you didn't have cancer, you'd be the perfect candidate for a heart transplant but you know and in their mind maybe that meant so you're going to die of heart failure but they didn't say right so you're going to die from heart failure and you're never going home from this hospitalization that was never shared with us at all Mm. um so anyway well I wish I could say that that's the first time I've heard those stories, but I hear them over and over again. And we could have one whole episode on just the things um, that I have heard, how people have been communicated that they are going to die or not communicated from a shrug of the shoulders to, you know, sorry, Charlie. Um, And again, who's in the room? What support do they have? There's so many things that yeah. You didn't have at that situation. No, absolutely yeah. not. And in fact, I told my mother and she rubbed my head. She, she I still remember her rubbing mm. my head and trying to comfort me. Right. Because, and, and that, I mean, she should have been receiving comfort too. And nobody was there to yeah. comfort us. And then I like felt like, what do I do? Do I call my dad and say, right. come back? Cause mom could die at any time. And it turns out she lived another four days but you know not yeah. that long really. right and she did die in a hospice actually which okay. was a much better um experience than had she died in the, the hospital. hospital yes mm-hmm. 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 for sure so anyway um why don't you talk a little bit more about starlight yeah. and what um what your mission is and yeah. kind of what you do there i'd love to um we are a grief center for children ages four all the way up through adults and then we also have adult groups so we serve the whole family and we are Christ-centered. We have a curriculum that um, maybe parents and the families aren't aware of so much, but we know what um, kids need and adults need in order to grieve and to heal. So we kind of hide that <laughs> that in there. They might not know that that night we're working on commemorating, but we kind of work those things in so that when the families... Um, look back, they can say, wow, I really got some good tools and things. So we know from our experience and from others of what bereaved people need. So we weave that in. So we get to, on a weekly basis, meet families and they're supporting each other in the group. They're led by facilitators who I get asked a lot, are they clinicians? And um, they're not. We have peer led, which means um, they're trained um, just kind of in some 
facilitating skills and techniques mm-hmm. and listening, but they um, just have a heart to walk beside people. And as you know from the group that you've mm-hmm. talked about that you're in, it's two moms who are further ahead in their journey right. that minister to the people who have had a child die, and they know. Yeah. And I say in all of our groups, the only one that I c- could not have someone in leading it who hasn't experienced it is our child loss group. I really do not believe you can put someone in there who has never buried a child and have them lead that group. No, I don't would think you so agree? either. Yeah. I would absolutely yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really I could not even fathom right. what this was going yeah. to be like before it happened. To right. Me. And I know that I haven't experienced all the losses of the people who I have helped over my career. Um, so you don't, that's not necessarily a qualification, but in a support group, when you're walking alongside someone, having walked that is just key to the whole process. Yeah. I, and you talking about the different topics mm-hmm. that you cover. I remember very specifically, um, when we talked about lament Yes. and, um, and when I went in, I said, I, before tonight, I called it the bad cry. You know, when I had the bad cry, which meant I completely fell apart. I would be sobbing on the floor, really inconsolable. Now I can call that lament instead of the bad cry. And that sounds a whole lot better. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the bad cry, not meaning that it's it's bad or shameful. It's hurts. It's so deep. It really feels bad. Although it kind of freaks other people out, I have to say. When, you know, when my best friend saw me in the bad cry or you know at my office I I think I said that I on the last episode that I did try to go back and see patients for a little while I just completely fell apart which is the last day and now they're I think they're even hesitant to have me come back thinking that will happen again right uh, because it was just horrible and I just did get overwhelmed and Mm -hmm. but it was obviously just weeks after the death and I was still in shock and still having some of those times I I think now you know I haven't had the bad cry the true lament in a while yeah Um, it's hard to think on a daily basis of getting a little bit better Mm -hmm. and I've said before that it almost feels you almost feel guilty oh absolutely about feeling a little bit better but over long periods of time you can see it happening Mm mm-hmm Yes. Well, and, and it's not that you might not have one of those days or moments, right. but they're not as deep and they don't last as long. But what you were talking about at the beginning, that guttural on your knees wailing, it is biblical and it is a part of worship. And that's what we wanted to present to families in that support group is understanding that that is a natural response to having your heart broken. Yeah. Uh, and no one teaches us that that we can cry out in those ways in the middle east they call it keening where they wail in the streets and they're out there on their knees but as us stuffy americans we don't do that we we certainly i mean if we lament we certainly don't do it out in the public where anyone can see us we do our own shower or you know a closet um so when someone like you mentioned in your practice saw you publicly keening and lamenting, they don't know what to do with no, that. No, they're extremely uncomfortable. Oh, so much so. And what's sad is in our churches, we're uncomfortable with it too. And I don't understand that. You know, we have to get um, to a better understanding of, it's not like God slipped that emotion in there and said, whoops, how did, 
that yeah. deep pain get in there. I don't know how or anger or any of those. Somehow we give shame and judgment when people are experiencing those. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I certainly feel felt ashamed and yeah. still do and feel like I should hide this. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to see this. I certainly don't ever want my kids to see me right. like that. Yeah. And then was there that um, question that most bereaved people ask me? Am I going crazy? Oh, did you feel like there has to be something wrong with Marcy because I have never been this broken? Yeah. And I Mm -hmm. absolutely thought I was going crazy. There's Mm -hmm. no question. I don't know how many times I said I'm going crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. losing it. Yeah. It feels a lot like that. And it's one of those things in life where, you know, we mentioned about physicians and people not being prepared. We come to grief before we're prepared to do so. No one teaches you about the worst moment of your life. No one does. Right. Absolutely. So having these kinds of conversations, um, and just even having people think about the pain of grief that might not even be bereaved today, driving in their car, listening to this, like there, um, there is an experience that they may, that most people in life will have. Yeah. That am I prepared for it? Do we talk about it? Mm-hmm. And and I think if I would have known ahead of time just a little bit more of that's okay, right? That would be better mm-hmm. because I, I, in general people just they just feel like I think you should just kind of get over it, and I wouldn't do it that way. Oh, absolutely! And you just don't know. But. Well, and it's the fact that we do want to fix people and we want to make them better, and we live in a culture that just you know let's keep moving. Everything is so fast paced. Everything happens very quickly. I mean, you can have food delivered to your home now. Um, you know, you're at a bonfire, and someone told me they were craving Taco Bell, and in moments, Uber Eats dropped off Taco Bell. That never used to happen. So those quick solutions that we have now there's not a quick solution no for grief no and then it happens and we think what I what am I going to do with this we don't know and there's not a quick fix it is something that has to be experienced yeah and it just takes so much time and hard work energy yeah energy and what happens is it zaps your energy so then it takes energy to grieve so then it's natural for bereaved people to want to withdraw because everything takes just so much out of you that you don't have it so the temptation then is for them to withdraw so much that then they don't do the work of grief and they try just to hide back it is work yeah and you know my daughter just went back to school this week she's a senior in high school Mm -hmm. and she just finished her first week and she was so tired and I thought it was just the tired of the first week of Mm -hmm. school and um just used to sleeping in she can't sleep in anymore but when she talked to me about it she said I'm just so tired of having to try to smile all the time and pretend that everything's okay. And she had people, she's had people say to her, oh, you seem so much better this year than she did last. Because last year, honestly, she sort of had a pass, right? Everyone knew that her younger brother was supposed to be starting and that he died. Mm -hmm. They had, I mean, her, his funeral was on the first day of school. They didn't even have their normal first day assembly because so many people were at his funeral. Um, 
but this year, I think she feels this pressure that she needs to go back to her normal self. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just tiring. And it's just wearing her out. Right. And she doesn't know how to act and what to do. Right. And that's one of the main things that makes grief so difficult is pressure to heal quickly. Yeah. That pressure, like you just mentioned, that she um, needs to smile. So if she is feeling happier, she probably went into this year in a better spot oh, yeah, than last absolutely. year. But now that it's out there, she's worried about maintaining it. And that's probably the exhausting part she's talking about is, oh, no, now I've got myself smiling and I have to maintain this. Right. And, and, I, and I think, uh, too, she's not, she hasn't, um, she wasn't as friendly and open and doing extra things last year. She mm-hmm. cut many of her extracurricular oh, yeah. activities and she doesn't know people mm-hmm. as well anymore. And she feels a little more like an outsider for I think a couple of reasons. One, because she went through this horrible experience. There is another girl there who goes to Starlight now mm-hmm. uh, that she invited to Starlight, who whose mother died, and they they get along quite well, right? Because they've both gone through this loss. But other kids, I think she just feels like an outsider. They don't relate to her, and um, they don't know her as right. well anymore. Well, I'm wondering when you said she feels like an outsider. Remember, I said people withdraw because it takes so much energy, and you just don't go out amongst people. So that's exactly what you're talking about. Is Catherine didn't last year do that, right. and so now she does feel like the outsider because now maybe I want to engage a little. Right? But how do I do? How that do I do again that again? Now? Yes. And that's what I told her this morning <laughs> as she's going mm-hmm. to school. I was like. Just keep showing up right. and um, let people know you again. Right. And I think the other thing is, is it takes a lot of education. When you're the bereaved person, you find yourself having to educate other people on how to handle you. Yes. So it's almost like she has to tell some of her classmates, "Is yes, I am in a better spot, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to have down days or times or my grief hit me just like that. And, so and I think that's hard them. to do that as a teen. As I mean, it's hard to do it as an adult. Yeah. To say, let me teach you who I am. There's a vulnerability in that. There's a, you're putting yourself out there for their, um, maybe their advice on how you should oh, handle it. Absolutely. And so, you know, we make ourselves so vulnerable and it's like, I don't know if I can trust you with this. So most bereaved people behave one way out in the world and then they come home to their safe place or their safe people or their support groups or something like that where they can be themselves. Mm -hmm. The best example I have of that, Marcy, I don't know if you remember saying this to me early on. So when you came in to learn about Starlight and I was explaining to you that we have a family fun night and I said, well, we, um, in the fall, we usually have a hayride and our families go and it's just something that our founder, who I believe people are going to meet in a few weeks. um, So our founder said, it's important to me to provide a family outing that you don't have to pretend that you don't have to put on a happy face. You don't have to think about because as her family, they were so wounded. She said, I, I wasn't even a fun mom anymore. No. So when I explained our family fun night to you, do you remember what you said? To no, me? I have no idea. You, you said, I said, it might not sound like fun to go on a hayride with a bunch of bereaved people. And you stopped me and you said, I can't think of anyone I'd rather be on a hayride with. Yeah. Well, that's true. And then, so what, you know, the people who are going to get me. And so that's the piece is that out in the world, you're surrounded by people who don't. So that's why it's so exhausting. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I know. And I think I said this on the last episode too. Um, 
Catherine, I see glimmers of the real Catherine when we go to Starlight. On those evenings after we leave, I just see her happier. And I know it's because she can feel like she can be herself and not have to put on some sort of act. Mm -hmm. Yes, I can be who I really am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've said that's the value of a support group to me is, again, that I can show you who I am and there's no shame or judgment. You're going to get it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things inside the context of grief um, that are really normal. But if you take that outside of grief, it's not. Oh, no. And uh, yeah, I can, you know. I, I was reading a blog <laughs> the other day that um, that said, well, and this woman will be a guest on the show at some point, too. But she wrote, I can't believe that people let me still drive a carpool because when I was driving a car, I just kept thinking about running into light posts, you know, and, and I thought, Oh goodness, I did that too. I do that still. And I, and what's sad is I always think, okay, if I run off the road and that car hits me or I hit this pole or I go in a ditch, I've got to make sure it's enough that I, that the whole family dies, Right. right? We all have to die together because I don't want anyone else to go through this. Like, what a morbid, crazy right. thought. And I think, I'm not going to admit that to anyone. Right. And I haven't, actually, until right. this very moment. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. But when I read that about that, and I and there were all these other moms that wrote, I thought it was only me. I thought I was the only yes. one that looked at those polls that way. Mm-hmm. And and then I thought, oh, it's not only me either. Yeah, yeah we well, all kind of have those thoughts. Oh, absolutely. I had one gentleman come up to me. He said, you know, you really helped my mom through a very difficult time. He said, but the one thing I'm thinking is we probably should have taken her driver's license <laughs> <laughs> while she was grieving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, fortunately, I don't drive off the road. Right. And, I, <laughs> and I do have my kids and other kids in the car. And I, you know, care well, for them. And I don't want anyone else in my family to have to feel worse pain than what they've been feeling right but it that's different than not really caring if you live or die right if you're ready like I I have told my family I've told friends you know if I die tomorrow please don't be sad right because I won't be yeah and I've heard somebody say you know you're better when you care if you live or die and I oh. still feel like in some ways I don't. Right. You know. Absolutely. And and it's hard because you're not actively suicidal oh, in no. that situation uh-uh. no. at all. It's just that living with pain and you know that tomorrow there's pain again and the next day there's more pain that becomes where, hey, if I go to a place where there's no pain, don't worry about me. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Right. The reason uh-huh. you kind of care a little bit is because you feel like, oh, goodness, yeah. everybody else will feel even worse than they're already feeling. Yeah. If we go back to the whole driving story, one of the things that grief work is so, it consumes us that even, you know, when we're driving, we do drift and you think, oh, I don't even remember the last few miles. But mm-hmm. when you're grieving and it's quiet or you have that space in which maybe some of your thoughts can go, I have bereaved people say, you know, I just, really was deep into my thoughts so they do get concerned about their driving because that's a time when um their mind just goes to things so I think of this mom that I talked about or this woman um her son when he said take her driver's license away he said did you know my mom was pulled over for going the wrong way down a one-way street 
And I said, no, I didn't know that. So when I talked to her and I asked her about it, she said, well, did he even tell you where I was coming from? And I said, no, he didn't. And she said, I had just come from the lawyer settling my husband's affairs. And she said, when I pulled out, I didn't care which way the road was going. I was in so much pain. Yeah. You know, so where she was at, she wasn't looking for which way to turn. She no. just wanted out of there. And, and it's hard to even... Um, to think logically anyway. I mean, right. I, I had, there was a mom that shared in support group that she felt like she couldn't even follow a recipe. Oh, absolutely. Because you just, the mind just doesn't work like how it did. And being a facilitator of a support group for years, I could probably write pages and pages, but just in the short time that you were in it, just being able to talk to other people and say, oh yeah, you know, let yeah. me tell you what happened to me. And so you begin to learn that that lack of concentration or that polyasic behavior that you have that I just up and down and I'm with it one minute and not the next is very normal inside the context of grief. Therefore, you get reaffirmed that you're not going crazy. Right. Because yeah. that's certainly what I just kept going over mm -hmm. and over in my mind. Yeah. I'm going crazy. I don't know. You know, I've been seeing a therapist as well, an excellent grief therapist, recommended by you, yeah. actually. Well, and um, and I, I don't know how many times I said to her, I think I'm going crazy. And she would say, you're not going crazy. Right. You're not going crazy. Yeah. Over and over, she would say, you're not going mm -hmm. crazy. But it's hard to believe it. It is. And, you know, people ask me in my job, what do you do? How do you help people? And 90% of my job, if not more, is normalizing reactions. Mm -hmm. Is saying, no, you are not going crazy. And, and so that's what we bereaved people need is that affirmation. And we look ahead to someone who's survived and, and we get hope from them that I don't feel it in me, but I can look at you and see that you're in a different spot that's healed and I want to get there. And mm -hmm. I'm going to hope that someday I'm going to look like you look yeah. and feel like you feel. It's so funny because I think, I mean, it's, it, when I think to my support group and the people even outside of that, that I've met, you know, I've, I met some that went through that death at the same time as me. And that is really helpful mm -hmm. to be able to talk to them and be feeling the same thing. Mm -hmm. But as you said, it's also really helpful to look at somebody that's, that's a year ahead of me, mm -hmm. you know, that just did the two year anniversary right. and someone who's like our facilitators who's 10, 20 years out. Right. Um, and to see what they're going through and how they're able to kind of move on and, and experience a little bit yeah. more joy. And that's the interesting piece when we were talking about our groups not being led by a clinician, but peer led by somebody else. That's the value is instead of there being an expert telling you how to do it, you're looking to the people that are sitting in the chairs with you saying, how did you survive that second anniversary or what, you know, and so that's how you learn and grow is from those right sitting with you. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did before the first anniversary of Andy's death is I, I, I asked people, what mm -hmm. do I do? Right. I, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'll be feeling that day. I don't know what we should do. I, I just wanted some input. Right. As to do you what remember other the suggestions done. that people gave um, you? Well, there was one that, you know, they had, they had a lot of family over, mm -hmm. and um, I think they maybe did balloons. They had ice cream. I mean, they did things. I you know, and then I asked my kids what they right. wanted to do. Great, um, because I, I just I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And our Guatemalan foster son really 
um, he's from the Catholic tradition in Guatemala, and they have very specific traditions that they do. They, they all will go to the church to mass. They take a cross. They walk that mm-hmm. then to the cemetery. They put the cross at the cemetery. They talk about the person who had died. It's 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 really quite beautiful. Yeah. Actually, so they actually have rituals. They and do. In our they culture, have, sometimes we don't. We just say we'll pretend, try to pretend like it's like, like any other day, like it's any and other it's day. not. And yeah, so, he was very very felt very strongly about it he I mean he works two jobs and he gets two personal days and he said should I take a personal day because he felt like and in the day before he had turned 21 he did not take that as his personal day he took the anniversary of Andy's death as his personal day and so to honor that tradition we did um go to church uh, they, our pastor made a little service for yeah. us. We went to the cemetery. We all spoke. Um, oh. And there were lots of flowers there. There were some gifts there. There um, or just cards after cards mm-hmm. of people. Because I had kind of thought people had forgotten. Right. But um, a friend of mine had been collecting cards. And so we got a lot of beautiful cards. And it was, it was nice. Mm. And it was not as bad as I anticipated and a lot of times it feels like those events you are terrified of and then it's not quite as bad as you think it will be then after that we had to go to Michigan's adventure because that's where my younger son thought that my older son would want to go go. yeah because he Andy loved roller coasters and all that so that was the second half so the first half was very spiritual and the second half was us you know feeling very ill on roller coaster rides right but that's great components one is the dread and the anticipation is often worse than the event itself but I think the reason that it actually was better is because you took the time to acknowledge Mm because pretending and trying to stuff that in or acting like it's like any other day is just too hard but many people try to do that I tell people take the day off whether you go to Michigan Adventure and do something fun or you lay in bed and cry all day but the option's yours rather than having to go out there and act like it's any other Tuesday or Wednesday um, and the fact that you, I love the fact that Peter came up with something that he thought Andy would like to do. And so right. he probably had a lot of conversations still throughout the day about what he would love about oh, that. Yeah. Andy or Peter and I were then on this roller coaster and we're going up like the second big hill of the roller coaster. And Peter turned to me and said, I hate this. And I said, <laughs> I do too. But, um, You know, Andy loved it. And so we did it because Andy would have loved it. And that's what Andy would have liked. And I'm sure. Look at my family. Andy's looking down from heaven like, man, they must have really loved me because I know they all hate this. Yeah, look what they're doing for me. (laughs) Wow. And I certainly hope that's not going to be a yearly tradition for us. Right. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you, but I went last year with my family and I rode every ride and every water slide except one. And I vowed when I got in the car that I am done. Age of 53 was that I'm done. Yeah, I (laughs) think I'm done with some of those. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Just neat stuff to see. I know you don't look at it this way and you haven't prompted me to say this or anything, but it's just where my heart is right now looking at you that you have done good grief work. And I think part of that is what you just said is seeking out someone teach me how to do this right. um, instead of just going in blindly. Because what we know is a 
active approach to grief actually makes it easier than passively sitting back and thinking it's something that just happens and it's going to magically go away. So you don't know that you were a good student of it, but you were. Well, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I I do feel like um, deciding to do this podcast and starting this and working on the website and all of that, giving my grief a purpose mm-hmm. and something to do with it oh, has absolutely. been unbelievably helpful to me. Yeah. And I feel like I have been able to recover more in these past few weeks than I did in the weeks ahead yeah. of that. Well, you may not know this. Remember I said people don't always know what they need in grief, but the extras have told us a few things. And one of the things we know is we need to search for meaning. Yeah. And you have found a little bit of meaning in what happened to your family in being able to help others. Not that you would trade Andy's life for oh, that absolutely lesson. Not. Absolutely, absolutely not. not. And I have not met a parent willing to say, yes, I'll trade my child for that lesson. But what you're finding is you're cer- you have a little bit of meaning now. Yeah. With l- that. Some purpose. Purpose. Yeah. Because I felt like I, mm-hmm. you know, lost my purpose. Yeah. And it a lot. And, and my makes, identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to make sense of it. Who am I now? What am I going to do with me now? What does this mean? Because I'm not who I was before. Not. No. 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 And there, and I won't be that person again, but um, I do want to still be, you yeah. know, a person. Right. Yeah. And um, not one who he, uh, hurting is your primary, you know, um, emotion, but you're, besides being healed you're also more sensitive you're more real you're more sure of your ability to cope I mean you are richer and stronger emotionally than you ever thought you could be probably right probably Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah it's interesting because you know I went through the death of my mom which is very painful and yet this is just a whole different beast really well you kind of asked me before I probably before we were on the air about the difference of you know grieving the death of a child and I've heard it said that when your parent dies it's like losing your past when your spouse dies it's like losing your present and when your child dies it's losing your future yeah and that's absolutely true Mm -hmm. that is not and you said this earlier too about how no parent expects to bury their child no none no It's not the natural order of things. No, it's just not Mm -hmm. how it should work. I had one mom say to me, she, I mean, it just rings in my head. I mean, I can still hear it. She said, there is no way to make it right that I put dirt on my child's coffin. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, you know, and anyone who tries to put something on that, you know, even the meaning that you have, if when I met you in the depths of your pain, I said, oh, Marcy, someday you're going to find meaning in all of this and it's going to, you know, give you a new purpose. You would have looked at me like you probably would never come back. I I was going to say that. I never would have come back. (laughs) Right. Had you said that. But I could support you in that time because I really do know that people don't stay in the depths of their pain and they really can move to a place of purpose. Again, change forever. Absolutely. Right. Ever going to be who you were before? No. No. But better, different, changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people do say, you know, things that they think are good <laughs> and helpful and helpful. And how does that work? <laughs> it's just not. I mean, just not helpful at all. And that's another support group that you probably sat around and talked about the things that people said to yeah, you. Yeah, I think we had uh-huh. a whole week on that. Yeah. On things that like people how, said. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
that, that do you remember something that someone said to you or would it be yeah I mean it's <laughs> we don't want that I don't know you know I don't generalization know generalization of probably well you have two other children or three other, yeah. yeah 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 you have other kids it's, God won't give you more than you can handle oh. I get I've gotten and that nothing one certainly about that at all no it's not and you know like Okay. Yeah. I mean, how is that helpful to Not me? Not at all. Uh, this is one that bothers me is that, um, you know, that Andy wouldn't want you to be sad. That uh, That is hard because it just adds so much guilt. Yeah. On top of it, which you're already feeling guilt. Right. Anyway, but that adds a lot of guilt when you get that. Well, obviously, they've never had a close death because what we know is that if you have the ability to love someone you have the necessity to mourn when they're no longer there. So you loved him. So it is a necessity that you mourn. And by mourning, M-O-U-R-N, you know, not good mourning as in the sun's coming up, but mourning is back to what we started with. That keening, that natural lamenting that has to happen. Mourning is an outward expression of pain. Mm -hmm. So it is a result of loving someone that you have so much pain. So I tell people when I die, there's going to be a lot of grieving going on, a lot of mourning. And I think people look at me and that sounds kind of, you know, egotistical, <laughs> right. or, but I know how much I'm loved. Therefore, I know how, how sad people are going to be. Right. Right. So yeah, that, that, yeah. That and and I had, I, you know, I did a podcast with my husband, mm -hmm. I, my husband has a podcast called The Paradox, and which is always about healthcare, except um, the first one he did after Andy died. Mm. Um, we did one together. And I had someone who's an acquaintance write a letter to me and saying, um, you know, uh, you shouldn't be so open to people. You should... Also, you really should go through his room and get rid of all his stuff and do all that because it's just not healthy for you. Okay. <laughs> and and um, I, I immediately threw the letter away. But I talked about it at Starlight and somebody's response was, well, did you say to her, is that what you did when your child died? Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> obviously their child right. did not die. Yeah. They have not gone through this or you wouldn't be so, you know. Oh just willing to throw that out yeah. there like it's just oh, the easiest thing there's so many things I'd love to unpack about what you just said I mean because there's a lot in there first of all I always say um you know don't allow others to shit on you and don't shit on yourself because when people tell you how you should act that's what it feels like they just shit on you the, you mentioned the nurse that told you that you shouldn't be there alone what she did right away is put a judgment that you had made a mistake you didn't even know right um and then the other piece about um to putting clothes away and things away would what make you forget i i don't know yeah. i don't know it's interesting because people sometimes that i don't know what this person's position is but Find, getting poor advice from someone who is an equal is one thing, but someone who maybe isn't a little bit of an authority, a pastor, a police officer, a, a physician, a lawyer, somehow the bereaved people think, wow, they must really know what they're talking about. Yeah. And I've had bereaved people actually listen because my doctor told me to go home and to put all the pictures of my husband away. I had that once. Wow. So... Yeah, this was just a, another yeah. mom. It was right. not anyone so, of authority, you know, again, and I threw it away. Right, but, so you didn't but take that right. on again. Another Had good choice. Had it been <laughs> someone else that told me that, I might have felt so, obligated to do right, that. Like I need and, to listen. And really, and when I think about it, had I 
gotten rid of everything and emptied his room, would it be less painful to look at an empty bedroom? No, absolutely not. Than to not. look at one that still has his bed in it? Well, that, and his and even clothes in the closet? No, yeah. that wouldn't have been less painful. No, absolutely not. Like in people who maybe and again, there's many reasons people move. Maybe it was in the works. It was something that was going to happen. But I've had a lot of families um, try to move homes. And I said, it's just geography. Yeah. You're taking your broken heart with you. It's not magically going to disappear because you're living at a different address. Yeah. And we were in the process of building a new house. Actually, we had, we hadn't started, um, fortunately, I mean, we were supposed to have started, but we put in a driveway, cleared all the land. Mm -hmm. We're going to start digging in the next couple of weeks, a basement. And then Andy died. And then suddenly I didn't want to, Mm -hmm. right? We didn't Mm want to leave, leave Right. Andy, because yeah. Andy was here. I yeah. mean, uh, Andy had been living here since he was six weeks old. There was so much, yeah. and I think at some point in time we still may. Right, uh, but when you're, you ready. know, for now mm-hmm. it just we just couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's interesting. The woman I shared, and I, you may or may not um, remember this, but I want the listeners to know that the people who have examples that I think, wow, that's a really um, teachable example that I could teach or nourish other people with, I've asked their permission. Mm -hmm. So when I share an example, I have people's permission to do so. Um, but the woman whose physician told her he, she went to him shortly after the death of her husband and, you know, she was describing normal grief. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I feel like I'm going crazy. I cry all the time. And he said to her, do you have pictures of your husband up? And she said, yes, I do. And he said, you know, my dad died and I go home. My mom has pictures all over. He said, I think it'd just be better if you got rid of all those and then you wouldn't have all that, those feelings. So he told her to go home and take all her pictures down. And that's what she did. Well, two years later, she ends up um, calling me to come to her home and just saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. So when she began to share with me about, I said, well, what did you do with your grief? She, she told me that about that doctor's visit. So I said to her, do you still have the box of your husband's pictures? She said, absolutely. I said, hang them back up. Yeah. I mean, you know, so for her, she was trying to pretend for two years that yeah. it was gone and done and over. And it's not. But at the advice of her uh, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't imagine taking down the pictures of Andy. <laughs> no. I, I will walk by the pictures of Andy and, you know, kiss my finger and put a little kiss on mm-hmm. his face. Be, you know, I do you find yourself talking to him, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, that's outside of the context of grief seems a little crazy right yeah. mm-hmm. but inside grief no not at all <laughs> no absolutely not. yeah well is there anything else you feel like you want to share um oh. talk about there's so many there other things. is we'll just have to pick up again another time and have this conversation the thing that i love again is that we're bringing these conversations out there and um discussing it and normalizing people's reactions and yeah. just you know I'm sure there's so many people driving or where they're sitting listening to this shaking their head saying yep, yep I understand I understand got it yeah I mean just for, so the listeners know too I plan on having Gwen on pretty regularly to talk about different different topics right. so what we were thinking about is maybe we will have um a session where we really just talk about guilt or just oh, talk yeah. about anger or just talk about what happens in those first few days and right. how you get through and what other people can try to do to support mm-hmm. through that time uh, today we talked a lot about kind of what not to do <laughs> right. but we should also <laughs> yeah. touch on well, what to do 
do, right? Because yeah. people are going, oh no, what do I say? What, yeah, what do I, I say? Yeah. I said all yeah. these things not that to do. Is, right. And I yeah. guess just to briefly say yes. some things is to just be there. Absolutely. People mm-hmm. are not going to remember your words unless they're painful yeah. and full of judgment and shame. But they will remember your caring, supportive presence. Yeah. That you were available. And, you know, I, I use this line all the time. Tell them if you want to talk, I'll listen. And if you don't, that's okay too. Right. But uh, the other side to that is don't say, well, call me whenever you oh, want. Oh, no, because, because they will to. never call. No. And uh, that just won't happen. No. I've talked to other, I mean, I thought maybe it was just me that would, that when they say, well, if you want me to, you know, bring you a meal, call me. If you want me to, if you want to go for a walk, call me. I automatically think in my mind, well, that will never happen. Right. Because I will never do no. that. But then I've talked to other moms. They're the same way. No, absolutely. So we can give people some tangible ways that they can actually be present and help somebody. Yeah. That would be a great topic. Yeah. And I I know I have liked when someone just shows up and says, mm-hmm. I'm going for a walk. Do you want to come with me? Because right. I will say yes. Mm-hmm. And I will go on that walk. Right. But only if I'm just kind of asked to do it, right. not asked to call me when I want to do Absolutely. it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so thank much, you. Gwen, for coming on. And we will talk about other topics soon. Sounds great. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player, We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.